Well, good morning, friends at UAC. In my uh, prayer time this morning, I was uh, being grateful to God, just thankful to Him for the chance to be able to gather in person to worship. That's a, that's a treat that we can enjoy now that many of us haven't had uh, for quite some time, uh, even for us in Thailand. Um, and then I was also just thankful to God just for UAC. Um, this is a great church. It really is. I, I mean that sincerely. Um, I, that's not a, I'm not being paid to say that, so please uh, don't misunderstand me. Um, but this church, it's not perfect like Noah Church is, but this church has been so special and instrumental in, in my life over, I think it's like 38 years that we've been connected with UAC since I was, uh, in, I think, came here the summer of my grade eight year just before I started high school. And so, so thankful to be here this morning. Uh, a little nervous when you come to speak at your home church, despite all the other churches we've spoken at over all the years. Um, so it is both a pleasure and a little bit nervous as well uh, to be with you today. But let me uh, open up with a word of prayer and then dive into what God's word is for us today. Father, thank you so much for this body, Lord, that you have called onto yourself, that you have redeemed, that you are using to make a difference in the community around. And Father, as we look, turn our attention to your word right now, um, ask, oh God, that your Holy Spirit would give us deep understanding of what your word says. Um, that you would convict us in the areas of our life that we really need conviction and give us that motivation to change in the areas that you desire us to so that we can become more like Jesus. Uh, for your sake and your glory, we pray. Amen. So how are things going in Hat Yai? Uh, we've been asked this question by many people since moving back to southern Thailand, uh, both by Thai pastors and by other Christian workers. I think it's fair to say that many international workers struggle with answering this kind of a question. So how's it going? You see, because when you're asked this question, the inquirer typically wants to know, how are your ministry activities coming along? How many people have prayed to receive Christ? International workers often feel a sense of guilt or pressure to provide the inquirer with an answer that would somehow inspire them. And I confess that I too struggle when asked this question by others. You see, because I want to tell you about all these great ministry projects that we're involved in. I want to tell you about the names and the stories of people who have, who have chosen to follow Christ. But the reality is, since arriving in this new city last June, we haven't seen those things. Not yet. Not yet. In fact, the main activity that we've been doing is praying. Praying a lot. Praying more than any other previous ministry assignment that we've been involved in. Now, I'm not sure what that says about the previous ministry assignments, but it's what we've been doing a lot lately. Last June, we felt a little like maybe Abraham felt like in the Old Testament when he packed up his house and made a journey in obedience to God's leading to a place he had never lived before. We moved from the northeast part of the country back down south uh, in the Northeast, we were teaching at a Thai CMA Bible school, and now we moved back to Southern Thailand, but we weren't going back to Phuket we were, where we planted the international church. In fact, this time, we landed in the city of Hat Yai, in the province of Songkla, which borders right on Malaysia. 
Well, no, no sooner had we finished setting up our house when the COVID cases rose dramatically once again in our city and everything shut down for like six months just after we moved there. Shops were closed, churches were closed, but the one thing that we could do was pray. So we prayed every day. And we've come to believe with even more certainty than before that prayer really is the foundation of missions. In the New Testament book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the church in Colossae, which is actually present-day Turkey. Uh, the year is around 61 AD. And in the last chapter, he gives some final exhortations to the believers there in the church. And we read about them in uh, Colossians 2, 4-6, and that's what we're going to unpack today. And so I want us to look at the first couple of words in that passage. In verse 2, it begins with the words, devote yourselves to prayer. The word devote in this instance means to continue steadily. One author says devotion means earnest adherence to a person or a thing. It implies persistence, fervor. Now, we devote ourselves to different kinds of things, don't we? Different people, different activities. We devote ourselves to our spouse, our kids, our parents, our work, our golf game, our cheering of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Some things take a little bit more devotion than others, don't they? <laughs> Still waiting in my lifetime. Still waiting in my lifetime. But Paul, seriously though, Paul assumes that the believers or the followers of Jesus Christ are already praying. He doesn't tell them to pray. They're, all, they're already doing it. It's a normal practice for believers in Jesus Christ. Now, in this instance, Paul exhorts them to continue praying as they're already doing. And we might ask the question, why? Why does Paul need to do this? Well, perhaps Paul understands human nature pretty well, doesn't he? Simply put, we get lazy, right? It's easy to stop doing the things that we should be doing or ought to be doing, including those things that are good for us, eating vegetables, eating vegetables, <laughs> exercising, those things. Well, prayer is one of these things that is very easy to stop doing. Now, as much as I like to pray, it's an activity that takes work. It takes discipline. It takes effort to think through what to say to God rather than simply kind of babble on. It takes patience and a willingness to be still so that you can hear the voice of God speak. And it takes sacrifice to put aside other things that we might rather do in order to pray. One of the interesting aspects about where we live is that there is a mosque uh, less than half a kilometer from our house. And so we hear the Muslim call to prayer um, five times a day, uh, often beginning at 5 a.m. in the morning. Now, in our previous 20 years of living in Thailand, we've not lived in such close proximity to a mosque. But five times a day, our Muslim, or as we like to refer to them, our cousin neighbors, hear the melodious Arabic sounds that remind them to pray to Allah. Since moving to the city, we've actually adopted this call to prayer. But for us, we pray for our cousin neighbors that they would come to know the God of the Bible and our Savior, Jesus Christ, as their very own. We have different things that we pray for depending on the time of day. Um, I'm, I'm now, I must confess that at 5 a.m. in the morning, I'm not real lucid mentally, and so my prayers tend to be a lot more general at that time of the hour than they are specific. 
But the next cycle begins around noon, and that's the time that we pray for our immediate neighbors around us, both those that follow Buddhism as well as those that follow Islam. And then around 3.30 in the afternoon, we pray for our allies, the Thai church and other international workers living in our province. At 6.30 in the evening, we pray for the imams, which are the religious leaders and the teachers of Islam. And then at 7.30 in the evening, when it's dark outside, we pray that the light of God would shine through the spiritual darkness that envelops our city. We pray for those who are deceived by false beliefs that they would come to know the truth of the gospel message. Now, I must tell you that praying these things is not easy. It takes discipline, and it takes effort to, um, to stop, to kind of pause what we're doing in the middle of the day to pray for these things. It takes um, mental effort so that we think differently, how we can pray differently for these things instead of praying the same things every single day. Prayer is not easy. It is hard work. And that's why I believe that Paul says that we need to continue steadily or devote ourselves to it. Well, Paul goes on to give us some direction about how, we're devote, how we are to devote to prayer. In verse 2, he says, we are to devote ourselves to pray with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Alert mind, thankful heart. The New International Version of this passage uses the words being watchful. The word actually means here keeping awake or active. Anybody here fall asleep while praying? <laughs> Thanks for the couple of you that confessed that. I appreciate that. I'm not alone. Well, these words actually cause me to think of the story in the Bible where Jesus is with a couple of his disciples. And he's in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was to be crucified. Jesus went up into a mountain, went up a mountain to pray and to spend time, to spend time with God alone there. And it had been a long emotional day for Jesus and his disciples, and the hour was quite late. So he instructed his disciples on that occasion to stay alert, awake, while he went off to a different section of the garden to pray. He prayed for a while, and then he came back and returned to find what? his disciples sleeping. Three times he went off to pray. Three times he came back, and what did he find? The disciples sleeping. One thing. One thing. Jesus asked them to do one thing, and they struggled to do it well. Well, not only does Paul exhort the believers to have an alert mind, but a thankful heart as well. This refers to the attitude in which our prayers are offered to God. It means to, have a gra means to have gratitude to God who chooses to listen to our prayers. Did you know this? God is not obligated to listen to you. Did you know that? He's not. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. He's not obligated. But yet he chooses to hear our prayers out of his mercy and his love and his compassion for us. It also means that we have gratitude to God for all the answers to prayer that he provides. We are grateful for his deep concern and care for our lives, for our needs, and for our wants. Well, in verse 3, Paul kind of shifts gears a little, and he moves the focus from the believer's attitude in prayer to asking the believers to pray for Paul and his ministry. In fact, verse 3 begins with these words, pray for us too. Paul asks for prayer on behalf of himself and his co-workers. Paul exhorts the believers in the church at Colossae to pray that God would give him and his companions opportunities to speak the name of Christ, to speak about God's mysterious plan concerning Christ. 
Now, Paul talks about this mysterious plan in one of his other letters. In fact, in the book of Ephesians chapter 3, he talks about that his mysterious plan is basically to bring the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers together in one corporate group known as the church. You see, in those days, you were either Jewish or you were not Jewish. Those were basically kind of the two options here. All non-Jews were called Gentiles, or perhaps another term just means foreigners. In Thai, we call it kontang chat, people of different nations. Well, the opportunity to hear the gospel message was first given to the Jewish peoples in Jesus' day, but later it was meant for all peoples, regardless of their religious or cultural background. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for the sins of both Jews and non-Jews so that they would have equal access to God and eternal life in a real place the Bible calls heaven. What's interesting about Paul's exhortation to pray for his ministry and that of his co-workers is where is he at the time of his reading, of his writing? He is actually writing this letter from prison. The, the Bible used the passage or used the word he is in chains as the passage says. Folks, he's not taken the gospel anywhere at this moment. Yet Paul asks the church to pray for him and his companions while he is still in prison. Now, I'm fairly certain that if I were in prison like Paul was, I would most likely not be asking people to pray for my ministry, per se. I'd be probably more focused on praying for my survival in prison um, or probably praying, asking people to pray for my release from prison. But not Paul. Paul always had a ministry focus. No matter where he was, he sought prayer for expanding the kingdom of God, not for meeting his own personal needs and wants. Now, I don't know about you folks, but that's a challenge to me that I want to live that way as well. More than that, Paul asked for prayer that he would have many opportunities to speak about God's mysterious plan, not just a few, but lots. The New International Version translates these words as that God would open a door for our message. I love Paul's perspective here because God is the one that does it, not him. He's the one that opens and closes doors, the ones that gives opportunities and takes them away for us to speak the name of Christ to others. Well, what does this mean? This means that we do not need to force, threaten, or beg God to open up doors. Nothing wrong with asking God to do it, but just to recognize that if we really believe that God is sovereignly orchestrating all the events that occur in our lives, that he will open the door at just the right time. As my wife often says, God is often last minute, but he's never late. Last October, November, we began visiting a certain cousin village uh, with, one, with a couple of our Thai partners. Our Thai partners had provided some relief for some of these families uh, when COVID struck hard this village and through that had developed a, a relationship with the village leader. So we began visiting this village on a weekly basis and began to share some animated stories of the Bible with him and his sister. Uh, we also began teaching English to some of the children in that village too. Well, then after a few weeks, COVID hit the village and we were not able to get in there for over a month. Well, then January of 2022 came and we started up again attending the village. But a month or so later, then Bonnie and I got COVID. So we had to stop. 
Well, around the time that we started feeling better, COVID hit the village one more time. We were starting to get discouraged because just as momentum was beginning to build, all of a sudden the door was shut and we couldn't go back into that village again. So we began praying, asking God to open up another opportunity as this door seemed to be closing, at least for the time being. And then not long after that, one of our Thai partners told us that, that her aunt had connections with a, with a Thai school in a different part of the city and invited us to come and to do some English programs in their neighborhood. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we held a kickoff event, and the principal of was so impressed with our team that she wanted to invite the whole school to come every Saturday to get have English class with, uh, with our team. We didn't do anything to create the opportunity or open the door. God simply did it all for us. Well, Paul not only asked them to pray for many opportunities, but he asked that he and his team would proclaim the gospel as clearly as they should. The word proclaim here can be interpreted as announce. I believe that there are a lot of followers of Jesus who struggle with proclaiming their faith in a bold and confident way. Do you? I know, honestly, I do, even for all the years that we've been involved in doing this, is that I still struggle with this. Many of us are shy, reserved, and too often silent about their claim to be a believer and share their faith with others. We don't want to force our beliefs on others, so we convince ourselves that, that it's better if we just stay silent. Ever thought that? We even justify our decision by saying that we, don't, we want people to see Jesus through our actions, not in our words. Now, it is true that we need to reflect the character and conduct of Jesus in our actions. But that is in support of our words, not in lieu of them. We need to announce the gospel to others so that they can know what it is because they simply can't know it from our actions alone. Our actions give credibility to our, our message. One of the big issues that Christian workers in our area face is the manner in which we identify ourselves to our Thai neighbors that ask us who we are and what we're doing in their city. We want to be truthful, but if we identify ourselves as Christian missionaries at the outset, that can easily close the door to further conversation. You see, our cousin neighbors have the preconceived idea that we're only there to convert them to Christianity, as they would say. We are seen by many as a threat and not as a potential blessing to them. But if we don't identify ourselves as Christians at the beginning, then we run the risk of our neighbors finding out later and getting upset with us for deceiving them. So one of the ways we explain our presence is that we say that we're Christians who work with a Christian organization that helps to meet the needs of the community, both the physical as well as the spiritual needs. But please do pray for us that God would give us wisdom to know how to be able to answer our neighbors truthfully, but not in such a way that they don't want to have anything to do with us. Paul, in a letter to the church at Corinth, said in chapter 5, verse 20 of 2 Corinthians, that believers are likened to ambassadors, ambassadors. An ambassador is a person who represents the leader in the interests of their home country while they're living in a foreign country. Each person who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ is an ambassador, one who represents God to others. 
So if you have chosen to believe in Christ and follow in God's ways, you are an ambassador. You represent God to others. All believers are ambassadors, not just those who do it as a vocation, such as pastors or missionaries. But more than that, and I want you to hear me clearly on this, God wants us to see our role not as a duty to perform, but as an honor and a privilege to represent the, the interests of the kingdom of God to others. Let me say that again. But more than this, God wants us to see our role not as a duty to perform, but as an honor and a privilege to represent the interests of the kingdom of God to others. When we lived in Phuket, um, I was actually nominated to serve as the Australian ambassador. Truth, true story. I thought it was odd that a person would nominate someone who's a Canadian to be the, uh, the ambassador for Australia, or for Australia, but in that context, it was actually permissible because we have this commonwealth uh, relationship. I didn't view the nomination as a duty to perform, but as an honor to be considered for such a high position. I believe God wants us to view our role as ambassadors of him in that same way. That it's an honor to represent God, especially to those who do not know him personally. Well, Paul concludes this section by making two appeals that are found in verses 5 and 6. He says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. And then secondly, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. The words live wisely carry the connotation of discreet behavior. To live in such a way as to reflect Christ well. Not in arrogance or in a way that brings shame or dishonor to the name of Christ. One author interprets these, this way of living as not needlessly antagonizing or alienating our neighbors, but rather live life in such a way that those who do not yet believe are attracted, impressed, convicted, and are left with a favorable impression of the gospel. Here's a thought-provoking question for us to ask ourselves. When we interact with our neighbors or even strangers, are they left with an favorable impression of the gospel when we walk away? Well, not only does Paul exhort these believers to live wisely, but to make the most of every opportunity too. They are not to waste opportunities that God brings along their way. Now, I must confess that I don't, always, I don't have this perspective as often as I should. I'm not always conscious that when I'm in a conversation with someone that I'm actually wearing ambassador of Christ clothing on me. I'm not always actively looking for an opportunity to kind of steer the conversation so that I can speak about the name of Christ to them. Sometimes I'm just too content about taking a passive approach and engaging in meaningless conversation instead of the issues of the soul. Can you relate to that? But in doing so, I realize that I waste precious opportunities instead of taking advantage of them. I want to get better at this as I kind of move forward. The second appeal that Paul makes is found in verse 6. He says this, Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Gracious conversation is pleasant and gentle, not aggressive or forceful. 
Attractive conversation invites others to want to listen to us rather than causing them to look for a way to end the conversation and walk away from us. Attractive conversation takes thought and intentionality. And folks, it's, it's needed more than any other time in our history than this, wouldn't you say? To mask, to unmask, to vaccinate, to not bask, or vaccinate, sorry, vac- vaccinate. We as believers need to be attractive in our conversation to others. That's the best part about the gospel. So a one-size-fits-all approach is not as effective. This is why we really need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and as he leads us when we have conversations with others so that the Spirit will give us the words to say to that person at that particular time. Well, what does this passage mean for us today? It means as believers in Christ, we need to be devoted in prayer. It's foundational to being an effective witness for Christ. We need to keep carving out time regularly to pray for those whom God brings into our lives. We need to keep praying for our fellow Christian workers that they would have many opportunities to speak about the name of Christ. We need to pray that they would have boldness and confidence in their proclamation. As believers, we need to see our role as ambassadors as ambassadors, as an honor to carry out rather than a duty to perform. And we need God to show us how to live exemplary lives before those who do not yet know him, as well as those who do. And as we live out our lives, our speech should be gracious and attractive to others so that we will know how to respond to everyone based upon their religious background or their level of spiritual understanding. Well, on behalf of Bonnie and I, I want to thank you guys so much for praying for us for all these years that we've been in Thailand. Uh, And we need your prayers more than ever at this time. I know I kind of say that every time I come back, but really, we need your prayers more than ever at this season in our our ministry. Um, Because we're trying to bring the good news to a people group that we have no experience working with in the past in our previous 20 years. We're on such a deep learning curve that we get discouraged regularly as I suspect maybe you do in your efforts to uh, live out as an ambassador for Christ. But despite the difficulties, we choose to trust God that he will equip us with everything that we need and that our efforts for him will not be in vain. I, was, I want to close with some words that I was reading um, last Sunday morning in my devotions um, from Revelation. 
uh, chapter 7. I don't have it on the screen here, but I just want to read it to you here. Just a few verses, Revelation chapter 7. And it says this. After this, this is um, John talking. So God had given John um, a vision of what heaven was like. And this is what he recorded in the book of Revelation. So he said these words. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a mighty shout, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Folks, I receive a lot of hope when I read those verses. Because these verses tell me that one day, one day we will see representation from every nation. That's what it says. Every nation bowing down before the throne of God singing praises to him. And that includes the peoples of South Thailand, both those that are Buddhist and Muslim. This is a promise that we can cling to, that our efforts for God will not be in vain. And this promise applies to you as well. As you strive to reach your neighbors and friends and family members with the message of the gospel, so let's give as many people as we can access to Jesus. And let's make the name of Jesus famous together. Anyone want to say amen to that? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you so much for the commission that you have given uh, those who claim you as their followers to be an ambassador for you. Father, that is a, a high honor that you have given to us. And many times I confess, Lord, that we don't live out that honoring uh, position like we ought to. We need you to be able to help us to do that. And so, Father, I just want to pray for my dear friends here at UAC, for each one, Lord, that you would give each one boldness and confidence to not be ashamed or be shy about speaking the name of Christ to others. Fill them, O oh God, with a fresh filling, a fresh empowering of your Holy Spirit so that they would have the confidence to be able to speak your name. And Father, I pray that you would give them wisdom from above to know how to answer each person that you bring into their life in a way that is attractive, in a way that is fitting to their spiritual needs. And Father, we will be sure to give you all the glory and the honor because really it is all about you, Lord. It's not about us. Simply use us, Lord, to extend the borders of your kingdom here on this wonderful planet. For the sake and the glory of your name, we pray these things. Amen.